ready for a new episode of KP Talks Dollars and Cents. Learn financial literacy and get real-time updates on all things housing, finance, and real estate with your host, Kevin Perenio. As an owner and C-level executive for 20-plus years in finance, KP is here to serve you with all of his knowledge and experience. Whether you're a broker, realtor, or just interested in the economy, this is the podcast for you. So let's get started. Here's your host, Kevin Perenio. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Corona, California. Well, here's the Monday video, the first video of the week. And if you subscribe and bang on the like button below on my YouTube channel, I just filmed some content today, Monday. I know we've done a couple of videos here on LinkedIn where I went out to the house. The, uh, me and my business partners are um, rehabbing a home in Culver City, literally um, you know, a, a construction job. And uh, we filmed some content, and it's going to get polished and edited and produced on Thursday. So if you subscribe, you'll get the alert, and you can check that out when it comes out. That should be a good one, not the boring ones where I'm talking about financial literacy at my desk like I do with you every night. But uh, anyway, we got a lot to talk about. So last week, uh, tons of market movement. And it's very interesting because, you know, let, let's, let's zoom out. The Fed is driving the bus here, obviously. They are trying to mold and shape inflation, which molds and shapes our interest rates. And they have blunt tools, right? They have quantitative tightening. They can you know, sell off their balance sheet that they have or let it run off um, of mortgage-backed securities and treasuries and buy uh, less mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. And of course, they can raise the Fed funds rate, which makes things that are credit-sensitive, interest rate-sensitive, like a mortgage, more expensive. But we have seen, and we're going to stand firm on this call, peak inflation and peak mortgage rates. Now, the reason we think that is because, um, you know, the Fed has said they're going to be data dependent. And that data is showing that things have rolled over. Things have come down from the peak. We're on the back side of the mountain. May not be a great ride down, maybe steep and treacherous. However, we've gotten to the peak, um, not necessarily a good peak. But lower mortgage rates and interest rates are going to be a net positive, obviously, for housing. But the question is the Fed funds rate and what they're going to do with their terminal rate. And that is moving the markets. It's moving 10-year uh, treasuries and the bond yields, which if, you know I use a great service with, uh, with my uh, dear friend Barry Habib, uh, MBS Highway. I love looking at those candlestick charts. You can see what's going on with the 10-year treasury. And it doesn't stay static. It moves up and down with each little data print that comes out. And of course, the stock market, you know, it's stocks and bonds, you know, that push and pull. Um, then there's bulls and bears, you know, are we um, going into a recession having less growth, you know, or is there a little bit of growth left in the engine here? And so all these little battles uh, go on every day, literally minute by minute. And a lot of it has to do with certainty versus uncertainty. And of course, data brings certainty. But then you start asking questions about the data and second guessing it and then trying to, you know, match it up, uh, you know, with other data and other things you've heard or seen, even in the same week or the same day, and you're trying to come up with answers. And that's what's so schizophrenic about our market. And it drives us nuts. But it gives us a lot to talk about here and a lot to digest and a lot to learn. I'm learning together with you. And, um, you know, some of the stuff I know and some of the stuff I'm learning. Um, Certainly uh, get things wrong, but I try and build this community here together so we can all uh, be educated and then go out 
and do the real important stuff, which is teach financial literacy at scale, put people in homes, and help them create multi-generational wealth. And then, of course, attain financial freedom, which I know some people don't like that saying, but I think it's pretty cool, especially the part that says freedom. Don't tell me what to do. All right. So the Fed, when they spoke, when Jerome Powell spoke last Wednesday, he moved the market. And he moved the market because he said that we think certainty, with certainty, at this December meeting, we will have to um, slow the pace of our rate, our rate hikes. So that means instead of all these 75 basis point rate hikes, remember we went 25, then 50, then 75, 75, 75, 75. And now here's this next one. So in essence, that's five 75s, even though the first two were 25, then 50. So there's some symmetry there. We could then go 50, then 25 to book in this thing. Has anybody said that? I don't know. Just a thought I've had. And maybe that's what they're trying to do to end the Fed rate hiking cycle. Now, when Fed Chairman Powell came out on Wednesday and said that and brought certainty that there would be uh, less of a Fed rate hike on Wednesday, um, the stock market rallied. We're coming towards the end of quantitative tightening. That is certainty, which of course, that was really good, obviously for mortgage interest rates. And um, now think about that. He's saying, we're still gonna raise the rate. Okay, so the Fed fund rate is still gonna go up, but mortgage rates came down. So, uh, you know, just in case people want to know if there's a direct correlation between the Fed funds rate and mortgage interest rates, there is, but it's not like if they go up and this goes up at the same time, they, they kind of have a lag effect on each other, which is what the whole reason why the Fed is talking about ending this rate hike cycle. We are going to end up here with maybe four and a half percent terminal rate, maybe as high as five percent if we get some more hot data reads coming out here. And that's a really high rate. That rate that we just went up since March of this year is the fastest ever. And there have been other times where these rates have been raised by the Fed and have broken things in our system. In my last video, if you didn't see it, we talked about some things that are starting to break, some cracks in the system. When you draw down and have less liquidity, when you have less money supply, you know, every time uh, there's a, a, a Bureau of Labor Statistics jobs report the first Friday of each month. I listened to Kathy Wood, CIO of ARK Invest. And one of the things she's been talking about for years doing this, this uh, first Friday of the month report is the money supply. And I've been telling you on this video since February of 21 that the growth rate of our money supply, it's called M2, the growth rate of money, you know, it's about money being printed in the system. Really, it's more treasuries being issued and then the Fed buying those in this quantitative easing. The rate of money supply has been shrinking. It's still growth, but it's been shrinking. Well, she just pointed out last Friday that we now have, she is now calling for negative money supply. We haven't had that in a long time. And then my good friend hat tip to the MBS Highway team, they showed a chart. Uh, Dan up there put a chart showing that there's never been a shrinkage of, of money supply in like the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years they put this information up there. So that's a big deal. And that has a much bigger effect than the Friday jobs report, which, you know, is a data point that came in hot, right? The headline number is 263,000 jobs created in the month of November. And there's only supposed to be like 200,000. So obviously we have a really strong economy. 
that gives the Fed, you know, the right to raise even higher and longer and faster and more forcefully. But don't you think the Fed saw that report that came out to us on Friday when he came out and spoke on Wednesday? You think he doesn't have access to this stuff? The Fed and their members, especially Jerome Powell, have access to more data than we can ever shake a stick at or even imagine exists. You know two days before that jobs report came out. You know he knew what was in there. You know it. He always has that stuff. And of course, the PCE number that came out on Thursday. And the jobless claims, the weekly jobless claims, which were elevated, right? Those are new jobless claims. Yet he still said what he said on Wednesday. So I know the market is going to react to each data print that comes out. And it's going to affect our pocketbook if you look at it daily. And it will drive you nuts. And of course, if you're a bond trader and you have trillions of dollars in your institution of bonds, then, you know, every little movement in that market, you're trying to hang on to your client's money, hang on to your, your stack of cash there. So you can't afford to be caught on the wrong side of the trade. So you are moving with it. And when bonds move, that moves stock markets. So we're going to watch this data. Yes, the headline number was hot, but uh, Jeffrey Siegel, uh, economics professor, had a great point. He said that there were point, there's 0.1%, one-tenth of a percent less hours worked in that jobs report. That equates to 200,000 jobs lost. 200,000 jobs lost is that equivalent. Then I talked to Barry Habib. I had a call. I asked him about it. You know, he's my guru with this information. He talked to someone. I think he said David Rosenberg. He said that actually equates to 370,000 jobs lost. So you're hearing this information when you look at the report and the data within the report. Remember, the market got worse when that data print came out on Friday, but then turned around and got better because I think people started to read what's inside it. Again, so much information I want to get to. I will tell you, we have an aging workforce, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. But, um, you know, please bang the like button and subscribe to our YouTube channel below. Really cool video coming out there. I haven't seen it. I just filmed the content today. It'll be something fun to look at. Off-site. Kind of an old KP walks. Have a great night. Cheers. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Corona, California. Last update of the week. Want to get it out to you quick. We had budget meetings today and yesterday. Uh, seven and a half hours yesterday and like another five today. We are projecting growth next year. We are ready for growth. And I'm sure most people are feeling the same way. And let me give you the same positive hope and energy that we felt this week as we were preparing for 2023. Uh, it's a very simple business, right? Interest rates go down, business goes up. Interest rates go up, business goes down. It's very cyclical, and, uh, and it's not completely predictable, but that's just a simple way to put it. And rates are coming down. I read that rates this week hit a point where they have not been that low since June. And we know that every single piece of data for our Fed-dependent, uh, our data-dependent Fed, and the moves they're going to make um, impact the interest rates of the federal funds rate, which is the fight against inflation to bring inflation down. Inflation isn't coming down by anything other than all of these actions by the Fed and um, all the fears by consumers about things like um, how expensive food and energy and cars and, you know, am I going to lose my job? Uh, home prices, home interest rates, all these things have gone up because we had so much money pumped into the system to fight the pandemic. And now we are deleveraging back off of that, trying to find an engineer, a soft landing 
It's looking harder and harder every day. And I'll tell you why. All this uh, talk on Wall Street now has kind of shifted, right? It's shifted since Thanksgiving. It's not so much about inflation. They pretty much are saying, uh, you know, we've seen peak inflation. Now, is it possible we, we go back? I don't know, but we're going to get some really good confirmation on whether peak inflation is behind us. Now, will it stay elevated? Will it stay elevated for longer? Uh, defined elevated? I don't know. But I do know that we get data every single day that comes out. For example, tomorrow we have a producer price index data. Now, about a month ago, I mentioned that China was having um, a lower and lower producer price index, their version of it, which was about a month out from when the U.S. then tends to follow trend. Remember, they're huge manufacturers. We outsource a lot of our manufacturing for the goods that we buy, which we're now buying less of. Not, of course, on Black Friday. We're not going to be a Scrooge here, no matter what's going on in the economy, right? Uh, we're still going to buy expensive turkeys and foods to celebrate Thanksgiving. But people do tend to buy less goods generally throughout this 12-month cycle in a year when there is fear of uh, a recession or job loss or the prices are higher. So the producer price index comes out tomorrow, and it could be the second uh, reading in a row where it is lower than anticipated. So we'll watch that in the morning. So we've got cost of goods being built. We see that coming down both in China and here. Um, then next week on the 13th, the consumer price index, big number. I mean, it's a very important number right during Fed Open Market Committee week, which will get their statement on the 14th. So are the cost of goods that consumers pay for, is that also coming down? Will we get a second month in a row of that data showing inflation coming down? Now, it could be increasing, but increasing less fast. So um, less bad news. And then Remember, we're removing, it's an index, right? There's 12 monthly reads. We're removing the monthly read from November of 21 and replacing it with this CPI read for November CPI, which we'll get on the 13th. And so uh, you're re reducing a comp from a year ago. Remember when things were still transitory and things were skyrocketing, skyrocketing up? We don't see inflation like that as much. So lots of big meetings coming out. But the big thing that the Fed is fighting and the big thing that all the talking heads are talking about, I guess I'm one of them now. And then, of course, you know, all the bond traders that are saying it's they're fighting inflation and the wage price spiral is the thing that's the most sticky. So how do you defeat that? You defeat that by crushing jobs. And if an economy goes into a recession, which really the last thing we need to really officially be in a recession, declare a recession, is job losses. And everyone knows it. And everyone's talking about it. And it's ugly. And here in housing, we've already felt it. Our industry has felt it. We are absolutely a canary in a coal mine. Housing tends to go in and out of cycles first. And right now, we are in a recession in housing. But jobs in our industry, yes, they've been shed. Yes, it's unfortunate. Our teammates have been let go in this industry. But interest rates are coming down. When interest rates come down, business goes up. Couple that with what consumers are looking for. They want cheap prices of homes, which have been coming down since May, and they want cheap mortgage rates, which has been coming down um, the last month and a half. Uh, the, affordable, the affordability index goes up because home prices get more expensive and the mortgage gets more expensive. And so your average mortgage payment's like 2,000 bucks in October. 
uh, it was up from uh, $1,941. But that will continue to come down as home prices come down and interest rates come down. And then the seasonal trend of people coming out of the woodworks here after the holidays and starting to look for homes because everyone needs a shelter. So those two factors, those trends are trending positive. If we go into a recession, okay, job loss recession, that's good for housing. I don't know if you knew that or not. We're not cheering for recession, but for housing, it's good. So when there are job losses and when there is less demand because people have less money chasing the goods and services out there, then you have a recession. And that's when the Fed can watch the inflation come down even further and faster. Now, here's the part that we don't know. Where will it stop and land? Will we get to a 2% target? Will we stick it around 4% all the way through into the second half of the year? Which means the Fed has to keep their rates elevated, maybe at 4.5%. Uh, you know, if they do a 50 basis point raise next week, we'll be at uh, 4.25 to 4.5 terminal rate. If they do another 50 you know, we'll be at 4.75 to 5% terminal rate if they do that in February 1st. Or if they only go 25, we're at the uh, 4.5 to 4.75. If that's higher, then the rate, you know, of return on bonds and the spreads and the fact that banks don't make any money with an elevated 10-2 spread or inflation is coming down below that target, then they can hold at that terminal rate. And if they hold at that terminal rate, we'll see how long they do it. The wage price spiral, here's the thing I want to get to. Our labor force is not really, uh, it's not keeping up with the size of our economy. You know, we have baby boomers that are retiring and now they're coming out of the workforce and they're going into their savings. And the age of baby boomers right now is about 55 to 78. So there's still a good chunk of people in the, in, in the workforce, baby boomer age, experience, demand, command, rightfully so, um, a higher salary which is keeping the wage part of the wage inflation spiral sticky. So until they continue to leave the workforce and those jobs, um, you know, and that salary and those wages come down, which we've seen wage inflation growth, we just saw on the report last Friday, it could stay sticky, which means we could stay at a certain level, let's just call it 4% inflation for longer, which is why the statement next week you're going to hear, we may need to keep the terminal rate higher for longer because they're trying to fight that wage inflation, that wage uh, inflation price spiral, okay? Now, in um, 2000, for every retiree at age 65, people of working age, okay, we're gonna call it age 24 to 55, there were 3.6 workers of working age for every retiree, every person over 65. Today, it's 2.2. So, again, our birth rate's not keeping up with, uh, you know, what this economy needs as far as a workforce. We could get comprehensive immigration in the last two years of the Biden presidency with this pretty divided uh, House and, uh, and Senate. And maybe that will bring workers into the country in an organized, structured, legal fashion that we can get them into the workforce in a way that we choose, in a way that can replace those, uh, those workers that are retiring. Right now, we don't need it. Long term, we definitely need it. But because our workforce doesn't have uh, enough workers that are skilled, it is keeping that wage part of the wage price spiral sticky. All right, I'm going to run through and read something for you real quick. Um, 
we have uh, existing home sales fell for uh, 5.9%, created 284,000 jobs, ADP in October 263, and November unemployment rate rose to 3.7. Those are the big things. And of course, um, the PCE number um, was less hot. It is almost the winter solstice, the darkest, shortest day. These are the darkest times of the year. But fear not, it is always the darkest before the light. It's coming. Have a great, fantastic weekend. Cheers. You've been listening to KP Talks Dollars and Cents, a top-rated show for those who want to learn about the economy and mortgage environment. Tune in each week for more episodes, and please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Kevin Perenio does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through KP Talks Dollars and Cents. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. For more info, follow KP Talks Dollars and Cents on all of our social channels.